Good morning, church. My name is Anna Guerrero. I'm a director of uh, Children, Youth, and Family and Operations and did not plan on being in a video the same day that I was up here preaching. But hey, just it's the Anna show apparently today. Something like that. Uh, great to be with you. Um, great to be sharing about this parable. It has definitely been a week and I'm going to turn on my tar- timer just to be honoring of all of our time. Um, it's been a week. And you know those weeks where your body knows it before your actual brain or heart really connects with what's happening or understands what's going on? This week marked three significant moments. A year ago, a teen who I absolutely love and adore lost their mother. Uh, very quickly after a long and hard battle for living and struggling with illness. And this week, on Wednesday, we said goodbye to an uncle in Morrow's family who lost his battle to cancer after spending the past year reconciling with his family and life and living it beautifully. But this week, a year ago, I also received a call that my own mother was on her way to the ER because she had a significant brain tumor And I was on a plane in less than 24 hours because she lives on the other side of the country to a journey that I could not have imagined. She's been battling non-small cell lung cancer for five years. And that in itself is miraculous. And we'd been almost lulled into this rhythm because she was doing so good of good news and not much progress on the tumor front. We spent two weeks in the doctor's office, radiation appointments, and finally brain surgery. And we didn't risk one precious moment. I got these really cheesy wash-off tattoos. I was in a store just trying to have a moment like by myself and to process what was happening. And it said, miracles happen. And I saw these tattoos and I was like, that's what we need. We need a miracle. And so my entire family, we put these cheesy tattoos on our arm. Miracles happen. We went out to a fancy dinner. And uh, a few nights before the surgery, we all dressed up. We lived into the moment, tatted up and hopeful that miracles could continue to happen again, just like they'd continue to happen for her. She is healthy. We actually had our first MRI with no tumor growth just recently. So these are big moments. Yep. (laughs) If you are on that journey, you know it is a timer that you are watching. But I've seen her really know it this year. Really being alive and awake and present. It's a miracle and a gift Doing the hard relational work to reconcile with people around you is a gift. Reaching outside yourself to bless others around you is a gift, especially when you're hurting. I know many of you walk this road with cancer, illness, or loss, or some are walking it right now. And my heart goes out to you with compassion because I know your presence is a gift because we have a tendency to go to sleep. We can be lulled by the rhythm of daily life, busyness or boredom, or at the moment, the cycle of bad news that we can't handle and the issues we don't want to deal with. But sleeping is not being awake and truly alive. Do you want to really live? 
be alive in this very, very moment, not asleep? Are there parts of you that have been physically or emotionally shut off, shut down, stuck in bad patterns or disengaged? When we say yes to Jesus, we are God's new creation, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live. Our big idea today is that truly living comes from our willingness to give and receive compassion and mercy. Let's pray. God, we, uh, I just confess that I've been on this journey of desiring to be awake and to live and to be present. And I can see it in other people too. And so we come to you, Lord, this morning and ask for you to help wake us up, that we would be alive and that we would be your spirit. We would recognize your spirit in and through us, moving us to become alive and to love those around us that are our neighbors and our enemies. Lord, this invitation of the Good Samaritan. We invite your spirit to do that work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to share about this parable of the Good Samaritan. You'll notice that I didn't have them read scripture before. That's because I actually embedded it into the sermon. Because uh, as I was studying it, it started to feel like three scenes or three acts. Not like this is a play, but kind of. Kind of like so that we can help understand and capture each of these different moments and what they're, kinda sh- what they're sharing with us. So in scene one... We have the conversation and the setup. That's what I would name it. Luke 10, 25 to 29. On the occasion of an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The feeling in this scene almost felt like a courtroom as we start into this parable. The lawyer stands up to show respect and asks very two key questions, obviously in mind of what he wanted Jesus to say. What are these key questions he asked? How can I get eternal life? Jesus asks him back in questions to reply to his own. And then the lawyer quotes back to Jesus, Matthew 22, when he's asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is this combination of Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18 summed up in this, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, you have answered correctly. I feel like it can start to see the look of achievement starting to come on this lawyer's face. Like, aha, it's just starting to creep on his face. And Jesus said, do this and you will live. Zao, alive, not eternal life but actively living. That is how Jesus answered the man. Not eternal life, but actively living. 
But in order to be called correct or justify himself, he asks the second question, well, who is my neighbor? Now, traditional Jewish interpretation for neighbor would be your relatives or people you're in legal relationship. This could also be extended to the people in the land like right next to you. It is your interior circle. It is us even if we think about neighbor in that way. But it also begs the question, is he actually asking the inverse? Remember, he's trying to justify himself. How far does my love have to extend? And when is that work complete? He obviously hasn't been following the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, earlier in this, when Jesus shares, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? You know what I've noticed is that people who are closer to losing everything and have chosen to really love, zao, they become incredibly generous about this definition of neighbor. For my mom, I can't even tell you how many times it's a stranger she meets in a grocery store or someone at church who she knows is sick and she can enter into conversation and neighbor-like conversation and connection with them. For Maro's uncle, it is taking the time to make amends with people who he's been estranged with. Za-o, really living leads to a breakdown of barriers, like Jesus said in his sermon on the Mount. If you love those who only love you, what reward is that? It's a challenge to expand our mind of what really living looks like. And I think we could be really hard on this lawyer, but maybe it's because we could actually really see ourselves in his actions. It could read us in this way working so hard to prove he's right because it is the only way to define that he is good enough, that he did enough. Little did he know he would be the recipient of a parable. And that is how we get into scene two. The parable. Verse 30, starting in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. We meet this man, the victim of violence, walking down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is an 18-mile downhill, treacherous road, and it's super busy. And most people use transportation because it's a long ways, and 
it's not really the safest place because it's dangerous and it's really well-known for thieves to take advantage of people on this road. This is a well-known road. Most scholars agree that this probably means that this man wasn't really wealthy enough to have the luxury of protection. He's robbed of everything he has, rendered powerless and left for dead. So enter the priest and Levite, whose encounter is written almost exactly the same. Theologian Kenneth Bailey observes that in the case of the robber, the priest, and the Levite, they fall into the same pattern. Come, do, go. Come, do, go. In the case of the robber, it's obvious. He comes upon the man, he beats him, strips him, takes everything he has, and then leaves. But in the case of the priest and Levite, their doing was in the act of ignoring the man and moving to the other side. It was an act of omission. Scholars have debated why this happened. Why would the priest and Levite, the people that were God's people, ignore the man that's beaten and naked on the side of the road? You'd assume that they would stop. I would assume. So is this a purity thing? That's one of the debates. Is this a purity thing? They didn't want to touch the unclean man. But they're traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, so that doesn't mean that they're traveling towards the temple. They're traveling away from it. Maybe they were busy or in a hurry. I confess that sometimes I get too busy to notice the brokenness right in front of me. My calendar can become a barrier to being willing to be a neighbor. So what is it that Jesus is saying about the priest and about the Levite using the same language besides that they didn't engage? Let me illustrate. This would be known as the rule of three. You know this rule, actually. We use it still. So I'm going to say, you fill in the final word when after I say the first two. Okay, here we go. I'll start easy. Duck, duck. Ah, you get it. Okay, here we go. Huey, Dewey. Thank you. Church, I know you can get this one. I was testing you with those first two, but father, son. Ah, very good. Thank you so much. Okay, here we go. Priest, Levite. Ah, no. This is, the, this is it. It's actually not Samaritan. The listener would have thought priest, Levite, Israelite. Not Samaritan. So let's talk about the Samaritans. Enter our final character, the Samaritan. In contrast to the robber, priest, and Levite, the Samaritan came upon the man. He saw the situation and a different pattern emerges. Come, do, do, not go. In this translation, it says, had pity on him. But in others, it says compassion. And I love this word compassion, so I'm going to sub it right in. And I feel like it explains a little bit more what had more than what had pity means. Compassion is understood as something you feel in your gut. Have you ever had compassion for someone before? Thank you. Yes. I have had compassion too. I can feel it. Like my stomach knots up a little bit. I notice that I feel it. 
your gut would culturally have been understood as the seat of love and purity. We still use this description, and it might also be called today as in your heart. Like we describe this movement of compassion in our heart. In this time, it would have said, it was described as feeling it in your gut, but whether it's your gut or your heart, it is a heart response. It requires response. This compassion for a stranger was the seed that led the Samaritan towards justice and reconciliation of what was done and lost, put him in danger and cost him his money and his time. He put his skin in the game. The Samaritan reconciled all that was lost from the robber, priest, and Levite. So what did that look like? Recovering all that had been lost from the three people before in the story. He went over to him instead of leaving. He got in proximity and crossed to the other side. He bandaged his wounds. There's a significance to the order in this. And it could be a great Bible study if you want to like put a little note right here. Because the order of bandaged his wounds to tending them with oil and wine is significant. I don't have time for that today, but that would be a great study. But he touched the dirty places and he worked to heal the wounds. He offered himself and what he had to give. He had a donkey. He had money. He had time. He gave himself intending for anything that this man would need. And even more than that, not what he could just be present for, but for more, as much as he needed. He offered everything he had. Anyone would say that to treat a stranger like that, even family or neighbor sometimes, should be heralded as great. It fulfills the law and could earn someone eternal life, just what the lawyer had asked for. Because it was good enough. It proved through actions it was good enough. But there is a Christ-like twist to this story. Remember, priest, Levite, Israelite. The reason it's not Samaritan is because the Jewish people believed that Samaria was a cursed nation. And they were the enemies. You can see a whole history of this in Ezra and Nehemiah for their relationship. Even in Matthew 10, 5, when Jesus sends out his disciples to do work, he says, don't go to the Jew, the Gentiles or Samaritans. And yet when Jesus passes through Samaria with his disciples in John 4, he encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. He asks for a drink of water and she's confused because she knows that Jews and Samaritans are enemies. And Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that ask, would you have asked him? And he would give, have given you living water. Guess what the word for living is? Zao. The same word Jesus has used in this passage earlier. When he tells the lawyer, do this and you will live. Jesus has offered to the Samaritan life. Jesus is offering to the lawyer life. Real live, real living, awakened living. The Samaritan, an enemy, has the ability to extend his heart, to have compassion, 
towards this stranger and treat them as a neighbor? How did he have the heart and action to show this kind of love to a stranger? Martin Luther King, in his very last sermon before he was killed on the road, said, I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible these men were afraid. So the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then God, the good Samaritan came by, he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? I love that question. And it is the challenge to us today. What will happen to him? What will happen to them? This is radical, unselfish thinking. Can we be like the Samaritan? And what do you do if your enemy treats you better than your faith family? Like what happened in this story? What do you do with that? In the closing scene, the final scene is back with Jesus and the lawyer. Which of these three, thi- three do you think was a neighbor to the man of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The definition of mercy is kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. The one who has the power is the one able to show mercy. We say that again. The one who has the power is the one able to show mercy. The one who is alive is the one who can show mercy to the dying. Mercy is giving oneself over oneself. It is compassion in action. Here is the truth where this parable can read us today. The lawyer still could not even say the Samaritan's name. He couldn't even say his name. He could recognize his actions. He knew what Jesus was showing him, but his heart was not moved. He could not accept it. He did not have compassion and heart change. He had knowledge. This is me this week. No joke. It was a family member who said something I was terribly offended by in the name of Christianity. And the day I sat down to write this sermon, I couldn't even look at the message that I'd received from them because I wanted to stay right and angry. And I wanted them to be wrong. But they are my neighbor in all senses of the word. I had to deal with my heart to offer mercy and compassion. I had to move. Are we willing to receive and give compassion and mercy with our enemies? To give up our power, to reach out and serve someone in need, to see people as human and created in God's image over the issues that we disagree about. COVID has taught us some things about this. Masks, no masks. 
vaccinations, no vaccinations. It is so easy to separate parties and find an enemy, so easy. Guns, no guns, but there's massive gun violence. Sexual assault in the world, hidden by the very establishments supposed to represent Christ. May we be forgiven. For people who see us as, see different from us on a different side of abortion, racism, LGBTQIA inclusion, are we con- too concerned with the rules of who walks through the door and is our neighbor? Don't get distracted here. God is doing transformational work in each of us. Jesus, in this very parable, is calling us to reach out our hands and our hearts to love and use our mercy or power to show other God, others, God's great love and intention for all creation, to be reconciled in relationship with their creator. All week, I felt there's this major spiritual battle, major for us as a church, not just Bethany North, us as people of God who claim we follow Jesus to really engage this message, to put our hearts and our bodies in movement to show Christ's love to our enemies and our neighbors. And it will cost you something. It will cost me something. This week it cost me something. It cost me some pride. And it is Jesus' final words, go and do likewise, show mercy. It comes from a heart change and then into movement. So let's get practical. This is a practical message actually too. Is there someone in your life that has been placed there and you need to show compassion and mercy? Do you have a name? Has there been an encounter? Showing mercy doesn't mean I'm telling you that every moment of your life you have to be walking around trying to figure out how to show mercy and give a dollar to everyone that asks, unless the Spirit tells you, of course, please do that. Uh, But Nathan Nelson, our pastor of mission, says, you can show mercy by word, look, or touch That's exactly what the Samaritan did here. And if our spirit is filled with compassion, it is an act of worship and an honor to God to share it with others, to use your talents, your gift, your time to be the body of Christ sacrificially. We talked about this Team North celebration, to get involved, to use your gift. Truly, there is a blank spreadsheet out in the, in the entryway where we are trying to have people sign up and serve with our kids. And this generation of kids is blowing our minds in this way. Do you know that there were elementary students today that they knew it was the last day to set up that preschool room? And so before any adult could get there, they set up the entire room themselves. They are putting their skin in the game because this is their church and we need to recognize the power and incredible mercy and compassion that this generation has. It is mind-blowing. Get involved. 
There's global and local missions. Incredible work happening in Rwanda. Doing this very thing. Enemies like uniting in Christ. There's Operation Nightwatch in Seattle. Check that out. It's amazing. There's incredible local partners. Get involved. Move your body in mercy and compassion. Talk to Lydia about missions. Talk to Raul about life groups. Get involved in ministry together and have compassion for the people in your neighborhood that it would move us to serve outside of ourselves. Our love has to overflow to the people that are around us, not just our neighbors, our enemies. I'd like to invite the band up. We must not just sit in these seats and worship. We have to move. We have to move in our hearts and we have to move with our bodies to show the world the love of Christ. Neighbors, you are my neighbors. It is time for us to wake up. We cannot sleep on this or cross to the other side of the road. It is time for all of the church to wake up because true living equals compassion or a heart change and mercy, which is moving and offering our power. It's action, but you cannot do this on your own. You can't do this in your own power. This is the most amazing part about this. It is only through Holy Spirit power that we can change in our hearts and actions. It is not on us. It is the Spirit doing God's transformational work in and through us. There are prayer ministers here to pray with you today, if that is you. Do you need a heart change? Do you need to move on something? Do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to offer compassion and mercy? A couple weeks ago, I needed this. It was me. I came over and had someone pray with me because I knew that I needed a heart change and I could not do it on my own. Only through confession And through the Spirit's movement in my heart, could I find that? So let's pray. Just take this moment of silence for what the Spirit is stirring up in you. What is coming awake? What is truly living in you? God, we confess that we have been asleep. We are tired and we've been asleep on issues that are hard to deal with. It's all around us, and we don't know how to wake up. We just want to hide, but that is not what you are calling us to do today. You are calling us to live za'o and be your spirit in this world. People of compassion, 
willing to have a heart change and people of mercy, willing to offer ourselves, offer our time and our talents to put our skin in the game for you because you did this for us, Jesus. You came and offered us compassion. You came and showed us a new way of living. Living that doesn't mean that we have to be good enough. Living that means that your spirit does that work. And we confess as God's big church that we have not trusted you in that. Lord, would we be people of compassion and mercy? Would we show your living, breathing spirit to the world around us? May we show it through confession with our neighbor, confession with our enemy, and moving our bodies to show the goodness of who you are in the world. In Jesus' name. Let's continue in worship.